This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Glad to be with you this morning. Coming up this hour, we hear from world-renowned jazz musician Wynton Marsalis and social justice activist Brian Stevenson about their special immersive concert this weekend. Plus, what would you do if you found diaries of a deceased loved one full of deep family secrets? Well, that's the premise of a new play that's set against the backdrop of the Black Victorian age. We'll talk with the playwright and director. But first, President Joe Biden has agreed in principle to a meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin. The White House says this is dependent on Russia not further invading Ukraine. Meanwhile, tensions remain high. An estimated 200,000 Russian troops now line the Ukrainian border. American citizens are being encouraged to leave Ukraine as soon as possible. Here's National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan speaking last week. We don't know exactly what is going to happen, but the risk is now high enough and the threat is now immediate enough that this is what prudence demands. If you stay, you are assuming risk with no guarantee that there will be any other opportunity to leave to help us wrap our minds around all of this is DePaul political science professor Dick Farkas. Welcome back, Professor. Thank you, Sasha. So the president says that he'll potentially meet with Putin. How big of a deal is this? Well, I think it's very much what the whole the whole episode is about. I think uh, from the beginning, it's largely about signaling and about um, raising uh, Putin and Russia's visibility in the in the global environment. I think this is, he's looking to remain in the spotlight. Uh, that is, Vladimir Putin is. Uh, but he's putting uh, the system at great risk, I think. Uh, the potential uh, associated with uh, with what everybody's predicting in a, an invasion um, would, I think, be the most catastrophic mistake in Russian foreign policy in the last 75 years. Well, there may be some, Professor, who, who still don't understand the backstory of this conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Can you remind us how we got to this point? Well, there's no, there's no short version of that, actually. Um, but per- perhaps the most important thing for people to realize is that these are two countries that are not at chewing at each other constantly. Um, I, I know the emigre population here in the states is often inclined to represent it that way but but these are these are close slavic cousins and and for a very long time shared perspective and psychology and a whole variety of other things uh, when the soviet union broke up um, the degree to which ukraine uh, engaged in um, more active political reform than the Soviet Union did, um, is, I think, the thing that distinguishes them. And that's reflected itself in lifestyles and, and economic circumstances. So there are differences today, and I think those people who I, who tell the story by focusing on what Putin's worried about making comparisons or Russians making comparisons with the circumstances of Ukrainians is probably uh, an element of it. But But the bottom line is these are not people who have always been hostile with one another, and it would be relatively easy uh, from a generic perspective to find common ground. Um, at the moment, you know, there's there's a, an emotion to the language and the, the confrontation that's, um, that's extremely damaging to the possibility of a relationship. As but, we heard, well, we heard Biden's warning Americans to leave Ukraine immediately, yeah. and it's all getting 
really real, really, really fast, Professor. Yeah, Do you believe that Russia's going to attack? Uh, I, you know, I have a lot of contacts, and I was there in November and December. Um, in, in Lviv, in, in the western part of Ukraine, uh, working at the university there, the new uh, UKU, which is the Catholic university there. Um, I've been talking to people on a daily basis there, and they tell me that, that while there's a, uh, there's a anxiety, it was, it was in existence back in November and December, um, there's a, a modicum of normality and, and, and resilience uh, that um, that I think is prevailing at the moment. I think that most Ukrainians don't believe it's going to happen. I don't believe it's going to happen. Uh, I know that's swimming upstream, uh, but I think it's a case of media listening to other media as opposed to making an independent analysis. Um, last time I was on with you, I, I identified three or four or five elements that still caused me to be confident that it would be a, a, a catastrophic mistake, and I don't think Putin is irrational, and I think he's very calculating, and I think he's as aware as I am about the costs that would be involved. Yeah, let's talk more about Putin uh, in all of this. What does he have to gain by invading Ukraine? Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. That's why I think it's very unlikely that that'll happen. Um, he would take on costs, psychological costs. Um, uh, soft power, Russian soft power would be gone. It would evaporate. He'd be taking on billions, 30 to $50 billion in, in reconstruction uh, costs. He would, he would have the blood of tens of thousands of people on his hands. It, it, it would destroy his his global image, and I see, I see no no mileage in it whatsoever. I think he's a very calculating guy, and he understands that he has managed to control the narrative for the last month. And we are constantly speculating about what he's thinking about, what he's doing, and I mm -hmm. think that puts him back in the spotlight. I think that's what he's trying to accomplish, and I think that's what he has accomplished. What's the status of the U.S. military in all of this now? Has Biden sent more troops? Well, we've always had a very impressive ability to move trips, troops mobily to, into Eastern Europe. So the bottom line is that they're there. I think they're very well prepared. Um, but they're not, going to, they're not going to be shooting, basically. Uh, that, that's a, a commitment that, um, that would cause the conflict to appear as much our problem as the Russians. So, yeah. no, I think, I think all of the carnage, if there is any, will all be attributable to, to Russia, and that Putin knows that. Mm -hmm. If Russia does, inside, does invade Ukraine, what effects would we see here in America, Professor, as far as yeah. the economy and taxes, etc.? Yeah, you know, I think domestic American politics is such that it'll make a big deal out of that. But the truth of the matter is that that this is like a um, like a punch that that we can easily manage. I, I think this is a um, a very marginal consideration, very marginal. Um, the bottom line is that that our economy is is massive. It's diverse. It it has all kinds of capacity. I think. Again, we we play up the increments of inflation. We you know we all pay for gas at the pump, but the bottom line is that these are these are manageable 
alterations in our circumstances. I don't think it's consequential at all, to be perfectly honest. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and that is DePaul political science professor Dick Farkas. We've been diving into the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. Professor, thank you so much for your time today. Sure. Let's turn now to Marta Farian, president of the Kyiv Mohala Foundation. She's also vice president of the Ukrainian Congress Committee of the American Illinois Division. Hi, Marta. Welcome. Hello. Glad to be here. Marta, can you give us a little background on your organizations, the Kyiv Mohala Foundation and the Ukrainian Congress Committee, and also your involvement with them? Sure. The Cave Mahila Foundation uh, is a American uh, U.S. organization established to assist uh, Ukraine's oldest university that was closed all during Soviet times and reopened in 1991 when the Soviet Union fell apart. And the university has been at the forefront of reforms in higher education. In other words, uh, to insist on autonomy and uh, freedom of education uh, to get away from uh, the Soviet uh, style of uh, educating and brainwashing uh, uh, the students. So it's a very important role that we play because it is the young generation of Ukrainians that need to be prepared to be the leaders of the future. And mm-hmm. many of them already are. For example, the uh, ambassador of Ukraine in uh, in Washington is a graduate of this university. And then the Ukrainian Congress Committee, um, it's, it was formed in 1940 and in Illinois in the 70s. It represents 200,000 Ukrainian Americans in Illinois. And, of course, we... Uh, support uh, Ukraine's efforts at building a democracy, and we uh, stay in touch with uh, members of Congress and Washington in order to do that. You're also a board member of the World Ukrainian Congress. What are some priorities of the Congress right now amidst this crisis? Well, the World Ukrainian Congress, I'm very proud of this organization, It represents over 20 million Ukrainians all over the world in over 60 countries, and it uh, coordinates uh, and unites Ukrainians outside of Ukraine. Uh, Right now, with the situation of Russian aggression, the World Congress is appealing to everyone for um, organizing humanitarian aid, because we do realize that if there is an incursion of uh, Russian military on Ukraine, there will be a very large amount of refugees, and they will need to be helped. Do you believe there will be a Russian invasion? I'm not sure. Uh, I, um, With all due respect uh, to Professor Farkas, I uh, do not agree that uh, Putin... Uh, is such a rational man in the sense of the Western world. He doesn't think the way we do. Uh, And I think that uh, Russian history and Soviet history uh, proves that. I think that um, he has his own uh, plans. Uh, He's a predator, 
and a predator that really wants to restore the Russian Empire. And even though Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union and uh, part of the Russian Empire for many years, it doesn't mean that we have uh, so much in common that brings us together uh, that uh, it would prevent a war. Uh, let's not forget that under the Soviet Union, um, millions and millions of Ukrainians were um, were starved to death in the Great Famine in 1932-33, and all through Stalin's uh, reign and later Brezhnev, uh, Ukrainians were sent to the Gulag. Uh, there's mm -hmm. actually not a single Ukrainian family that won't tell you that a parent or grandparent or great-grandparent did not suffer from uh, Russian oppression. And um, so there is a lot of resentment. On the other hand, there is a lot of intermarriage. Uh, we are Slavic people. Uh, each one has their own language. But uh, I think that Putin is using uh, the, uh, the false information and disinformation in a very clever way. Mm -hmm. For example, when he says that he needs to uh, come into uh, Ukraine in order to defend Russian speakers, that is hogwash because Ukraine is totally united. Uh, Ukrainian military personnel speak Russian uh, the president of Ukraine is also a Russian speaker. And uh, Russian speakers and Ukrainian speakers and people of all religious persuasions have united completely now against Russia. Why? Because they know what it means. Because they see how under Putin's reign of Russia, how he has undermined all kinds of uh, rules, international, international rules, that he has zero respect for human life and democratic norms. And the Ukrainian people want to determine their own future. Well, I am convinced that the Russian people do not want war. And Putin knows that. And that's why he is feeding them through television, radio, and printed media all sorts of cockamamie crazy stories, such yeah. as, for example... Uh, that um, the United States is is gathering children in Ukraine and putting them in um, in concentration camps. Mm -hmm. That United States sent their military already to Ukraine. They're at the border of Russia, and Russia is ready to defend uh, the mother country. I mean, the 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 people of Russia, I'm sure, do not want to have their sons and grandsons coming back home in body bags. Well, Marta, tell me this. The, the president of the World Ukrainian Congress says to prepare for a full invasion of Russia. What would that preparation look like in Chicago? And, and tell us what Chicagoans can do to help. Well, first of all, uh, we, can, uh, we are collecting aid, uh, financial aid. We are collecting funds. Uh, for humanitarian needs rather than items because it is so much easier and less expensive to purchase uh, anything that's needed in Poland or in Western Europe 
to help refugees that will be going in, in the millions uh, to the West. Yeah. And that's something to consider in making decisions for for Washington. Nobody wants a new wave of, uh, of uh, refugees. Uh, we also have uh, organized uh, several rallies in the, not only Chicago, but in the United States. Just on Friday evening, there was a huge rally in the Ukrainian village. And mm -hmm. just last night, there was a rally at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington. We are um, supplying information to the media about what is happening because we're in touch with our families and friends in Ukraine. We hear what right. they're saying. And yeah. Professor Farkas is right that people in Ukraine are alarmed, but they are not scared. They are, they are anxious, but they're ready to defend their country. As a matter of fact, you probably saw photographs of grandmothers uh, getting training with uh, weapons in order to de defend their homes. So mm -hmm. the Ukrainian people are united in defending their country, and they do not want to be gobbled up by this Soviet-style tyranny uh, that Putin is proposing to the world. This is really not a war against Ukraine only. It is a war of autocracy and dictatorship against, uh, against democracy. And it is a war against the United States as well, because Putin wants to totally destabilize the West and uh, form a new world order. Okay, we'll have to leave it there for now. That is Marta Farian of the World Ukrainian Congress. Great to have you on, Marta. Thank you for having me on. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.